0: Well, how many here know what it's like to be in debt? (laughs) You know, it just occurred to me, debt is a four-letter word, yeah. It's not the, the nicest feeling, and you make a payment for something, and you still see what remains, and oftentimes there's interest attached. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? by a debt ever wondered how in the world will we ever pay down this debt do you know the average American has $15,000 in credit card debt in fact the U.S. consumer debt is 11.4 trillion we could talk about that for some time But this morning, I'm thinking of an individual some years back who perhaps may still hold the largest uh, record, if you will, of debt. Depends on how you figure, I suppose. But do you remember hearing this name? Bernard Lawrence Madoff. Yeah, the former chairman of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange and the admitted operator of the Ponzi scheme that might very well be the largest investment fraud in Wall Street history. In March of 2009, Madoff pleaded guilty to 11 felonies and admitted to turning his wealth management business into a massive Ponzi scheme that defrauded thousands of investors of billions Of dollars. Madoff said he began the Ponzi scheme in the early 1990s, but some investigators believe it started as early as the 80s. And the amount missing from client accounts, including fabricated gains, was almost $65 million. Does anybody here know the stress? of a 65 million dollar debt if you do i'll give you a hint don't raise your hand (laughs) my goodness you know the median income in america today that is The halfway mark, you have the same amount above, same amount below, they say it's better than averages. The median income today in America is 51,000. So if Bernie Madoff could pay back his debt at the average 51,000 a year, do you know how long it would take Bernie to pay it all back? Only 353,000 years. I hope he knows about the health message. (laughs) At 51,000 a year, how long would it take you to pay off your debt, your house, your car? Whatever it is, my hunch is none of us can really fully imagine or place ourselves in that situation of owing that much money. But it reminds me of a story in Scripture And maybe it's reminded you of that same story as well. We find it in Matthew chapter 18, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus this morning that talks about debt, but our purpose this morning is not a stewardship purpose per se, But the finances help us make the point. And so we're in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And there we read, Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Oh, Peter, you're so generous. You see, the thought and the idea was, based on the rabbi's faulty interpretation of Amos chapter 1, verse 3, that you only had to forgive a person three times. But Peter has been under Jesus' tutelage now for a while. He knows seven is a good number. I'm going to be extra, you know, go above and beyond. How about seven times, Jesus? Is that enough? And Jesus knocks Peter's socks off when he continues on here. Jesus said to him, verse 22 I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24. And when he had begun settling accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, hit the pause button right there. How much is 10,000 talents? Well, 10,000 of something. To help you get an idea, the combined total amount of annual taxes in the time of Christ for Judea... Indomia, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea amounted to only 80 talents. Combined of all of those areas, that whole entire area combined, yearly taxes, 80 talents. But this guy owes not 80 talents, but 10,000 talents. So this would take 1,250 years of that region's taxes and revenues alone to settle this account. 1250 years. Let's look at it as a matter of time. One talent is approximately 20 years of labor. So, 10,000 talents, you know how many years of labor we have here? 200,000 years of labor. Can you wrap your mind around that? Oh, no, 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 don't think you're retired. No, no, no. Let's look at it in terms of silver. One talent is equal to about 75 pounds of silver, or 1,200 ounces. One ounce of silver today is going for about $19.55, but who's counting? And so if you do the math in silver you're looking at 235 million dollars or we could slice it another way let's just talk about dollars based on the median income we've already talked a little bit about median income if we take that number 51,000 that the mean in the median income for average american families today and we multiply that by 20 years to get one talent that would be about 1 million per talent but he owes 10 Thousand talents, which means in your money today, he owes about ten billion dollars. So it really doesn't matter how you slice it. Summary: a lot, right? Two hundred thousand years of labor, one thousand two hundred fifty years worth of taxes, the entire region, seven hundred fifty pounds of silver bars, valuing at two hundred thirty-five million, or just ten billion of our dollars today equivalency. Would that be a wee bit overwhelming? Wee bit. Verse 24, And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made." And then the servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He's groveling at the feet of this king, saying, please, please, give me more time. Have mercy on me, and I'll be able to pay back every penny Promise." I think at times we sound like this very same blubbering servant. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll make it up to you, I promise. If you just give me enough time, I'll balance the books. I'll come up with the money. I just need more time. Let me earn back. Let me earn back my favor with you. Do we ever think along those lines? I know I messed up, but let me somehow be creative and and, and go above and beyond and somehow impress you enough and earn back your favor enough. And if I just give enough, 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 if I just give me enough time. And we barter with God. And it's equally pathetic, I think. I mean, honestly, how much time do you need? Just 200,000 more years. If you think about it, this man is delusional. He has no real sense of the enormity of his debt. He doesn't understand how hopeless the situation. He still thinks he can deliver himself. And too often times we do too. What does he say? Have patience with me and I'll I'll pay back all. The reality is you and I are infinitely, indefinitely, and impossibly indebted to God. But somehow we think if we have enough time, we can earn back God's favor, and in our own self-righteousness, we can make things right on our own. But the reality is this only really shows and reveals if you will that my heart is not yet broken i haven't been humbled on account of my own sin i'm too proud to go there just give me more time and how do we know that because he like we 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 just give ourselves away in how we treat other people. We continue on, verse 27, Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave his debt. All of it, wiped out, whoosh, gone. This is huge. I can't wait to get home and tell my wife, we're free, right? This is incredible, and he's skipping down the road, and he's all excited, and he's greeting people, and he's shaking hands, and everything is going wonderfully. This is the best day he's had in a long while. But that servant, verse 28, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. Now let's pause right there. It takes 6,000 denarii to equal one talent. So after being forgiven 60 million denarii, he's worried about this measly 100 denarii. The ratio here is 600,000 to 1. 600,000 to 1. If you were forgiven a debt of 600,000 of something, would you choke your friend that just owed you one? I mean, really? Especially after the king has been so gracious to you and has canceled your debt. And then we read verse 29. So he, his fellow servant, fell down at his feet. Sounds familiar. And begged him. Sounds familiar. Saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Direct quote of what he just said moments ago. You think Jesus worded it that way on purpose? Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. The moral of the story, freely you have received. Freely give. Jesus' words from Matthew 10, verse 8. The reality is, my ability to forgive others is really a measure as to if I've received God's forgiveness or not. That's the measure. If I have received, if I have accepted, if I have allowed God to truly forgive me because I am broken and humbled, His forgiveness transforms me. And that forgiveness flows through me to other people. But if I can't forgive other people, I wonder if I've truly accepted the forgiveness of God. If I can't forgive others, it's like likely that I don't sense my own brokenness. I don't see my incredible debt that has been cancelled. If I cannot offer forgiveness, I don't see my true heart condition. And in my pride, I think I'm well, not that bad. In fact, I'm mostly good. In fact, God is lucky to have me as a friend. But this other guy, aha! He's a stinker. My, my, my. So you see how it works. My ability to forgive others is a measure as to how I've received God's forgiveness. But you know, in understanding forgiveness, we also have to look at what forgiveness is not. I was reading a book this way by, uh, this week by Lewis Smeads. It's called "Forgiving and Forgetting." It's kind of an ironic title considering what some of the things he talks about. But he has a chapter on what forgiveness is not. For one, he says forgiveness is not tolerance. Jesus also said in Luke 17, 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Sin is to be called by its right name. You may forgive what a person has done, but that doesn't mean you tolerate, as in go along with, align yourself, become an accomplice even, right? There is a difference. People need to be held accountable. But that doesn't mean they don't need forgiveness as well, but they're not the same. Second, Lise Mead says this, forgiveness is not forgetting. We've heard that since growing up. Forgive and forget, forgive and forget. But you can never truly forgive people if you've forgotten about it, the offense altogether, can you? It doesn't make sense. And in fact, forgetting can work against us It's the pains that we dare not remember that are the most dangerous pains of all because we push them into the corners. And so like a tumor, it festers and it grows and it comes back worse than if we had dealt with it earlier. Is it true? Now granted, once we have forgiven, now we have a new freedom to forget. Jesus forgiven his accusers that put him on Calvary, but the universe will not forget. If we are at some point to have our minds erased about this whole great controversy and its effects, what would be the point? No, there are things that we will forever remember, but by grace we will also be able to forgive. But forgetfulness should not be a means or a measure for whether or not we have truly forgiven. The third one he offers excusing is not forgiving. Now I'm guilty of this one. I'm probably guilty of them all. But this one especially. Excusing is not forgetting. Forgiving, excuse me. I'm especially guilty because excusing is just the opposite of forgiving. See, I think I'm being gracious, and I think, oh, there must be some extenuating circumstances. Maybe, you know, this happened at work, or that happened here, and they're just taking it out on me, or whatever it is, and I can excuse things away. Granted, sometimes there are misunderstandings, and all of those have a factor in this, But other times, you were just clearly wronged. And to excuse it invalidates how that person made you feel. Yet I do it because it's easier than facing my pain. So rather than to deal with the pain that I have felt from this person time and time and time again, it's easier just to excuse it, push it back into the corner. Because I don't have to deal with it. Excusing is easy. Forgiving is hard. Rather than excuse, I must hold people accountable. Even if it's only to myself or in my prayers. And then do the impossible that God makes possible, forgive. To say, you know what, that was wrong. There was no reason they should have acted that way. There's no reason they should have said that. There's no reason they should have done that. That was wrong. And that hurt me deeply. But by God's grace, I'm going to choose to forgive. See, there's healing that comes with that as opposed to just excusing it away. Do you see the difference? One last one. Forgiveness is not smothering conflict. This one we like to practice on family holidays. This is the idea that whatever is happening is not worth making a fuss over. Just sh- Please, don't be the drama queen. Don't be the drama king. Let's, shh, let's just pretend it never happened. As so we smother everything and we just pretend nothing's ever happening. Now we don't want to make mountains out of molehills. We don't want to bring up everything, but there are times. That by being quiet, by harboring things in, by smothering and squelching everything, because we don't want to make a fuss, We make things worse rather than deal with the issue and forgive and move on. Quieting troubled waters is not the same as rescuing drowning people. And smothering conflict is not the same as helping people forgive each other. They all kind of have this same running thread, if you haven't noticed. One pushes it away. And one lets it come in and deals with the issue, processes the issue, talks about the issue, and ultimately offers forgiveness that brings healing and restoration and change. Forgiveness is powerful, forgiveness is real. And I believe God gave us forgiveness because he knew we would need to be healed of our hurt and of our brokenness. And we've developed all of these mind games to push it away. I don't need forgiveness in my life. I've learned to be tough. I have thick skin. Nothing bothers me. Sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bring it on. But when we're honest with ourselves, we all hurt. We've all been hurt, and we need the salve of forgiveness. Just like the beautiful illustration of a child letting go a trapped butterfly and the excitement of watching it fly away is the idea of letting go of that pain and that hurt and finding joy again. And as we forgive people, we gradually come to see the deeper truth about them, a truth that maybe our hate blinded us from even seeing, and a truth that we can only see when we separate ourselves from being right there in the thick of the situation. And the truth about it is they're hurt probably just like we're hurt. They're weak, they're needy, they're fallible human beings, they're not perfect, and they messed up. And they need your forgiveness as much as you need to let it go. And so in God's mercy, you have been forgiven debt you could never pay. Freely you have received. Now what? I know that some here have been severely wounded at the hands of another human being. The pain you have suffered is so sharp, so intense, so close to the surface that it literally throbs every waking activity of your life the pain, and you just don't want to let it go. Like clenched fists, every day you are hanging on with all your might. I'm not going to let this go. I have to have vengeance on this one. This wasn't right. This wasn't fair. And we're living our life with these clenched fists, angry, upset. And so, you refuse to forgive, so hurtful a wound, so evil a wounder like that. My friends, in the name of mercy, in the name of mercy, let it go. For you're only killing yourself. Yes, but you don't know the pain they've caused. You don't know how our daily lives have been affected, all of us. You don't know the financial struggles it leaves us with. You don't know, you haven't seen the pain it's caused my children. And while we're fighting to survive, he's out there, scot-free, living it up. How can you tell me to forgive them? Well, I'm not asking you to forgive him or her because what they did was acceptable. It was mean. It was selfish. But I'm asking you to forgive because they don't deserve the power to live in your head and to turn you into a bitter, angry, resentful person. A person may be out of your life physically, but maybe you haven't let them go emotionally because we keep holding on. But you know what? We're not hurting them by holding on to that resentment. They don't feel a thing. We are simply hurting ourselves. I remind you that Calvary, mercy is what was shown to you and I. And we're forgiven of all of our sins, all of them, gone. This huge debt we could never repay. As much as we might think we can earn it back, we can't. Pay it back over time, just give me more time, we can't. It's huge, it's insurmountable. And if we try and wrap our minds around it, we just can't. And at Calvary, it was all forgiven. He wrote it all off with his blood. The death sentence and the fires of hell have been wiped out by that one prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Through mercy we have all freely received. Through mercy we must freely give. Oh, but they don't deserve it. Did we deserve it? While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, forgive him, forgive her, He did not know. She did not know what she was doing to me. The prayer of mercy given on the cross should be the same prayer that flows through us. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Freely you have received. Now freely give. It was December of 2003 in the Guam-Micronesian Mission. Two days before Christmas, a man broke into the house of the pastor of the Koror Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was there as a student missionary over a Christmas holiday, actually, just a few years before this took place. So this burglar breaks into the pastor's home, and when his 11-year-old son wakes up, he's assaulted. When the father heard a noise, he woke up, and he was also assaulted. The same became of the mother. All three died and thought he had successfully killed the little girl. Within hours, the man was identified and placed in prison, and the mother of this Adventist pastor finds herself on a plane going to Palau. It's not a short flight if you've taken it. It takes a full 24 hours, basically, to get all the way over there. I can't imagine what she was thinking, what thoughts were going through her mind. Having lost a son and a daughter-in-law and a grandchild, that debt could never be repaid. But what amazed me about this story was that the grandmother, the mother, and how she responded to this tragedy... During the week she was there, she went to the prison, one of the first things she did, to meet her son's murderer. And there she spoke with him, she prayed with him, and she told him she'd already forgiven him as he wept. At the funeral, she called the mother of the murderer forward and gave a long, warm hug. And in that silent moment, she said, We're both mothers grieving the loss of our sons. She then implored the Palawan community to remove any shroud of blame that might otherwise cover this family. And she declared, We do not blame their family for the tragedy, and no one else should either. We do our best in raising our children. We educate them, teach them right from wrong. But that's all we as mothers can do. The debt that could never be repaid had been forgiven. And if you're like me, you scratch your head and you think, how could she do that? With the wound so fresh how could she just parade in there to the prison and forgive this guy? Is this for real? And the only thing I can come back to to answer that question would be because she had freely received the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. She knew how much she herself was in the same position that he was. And on Calvary, Christ pardoned her. And as difficult as it was, she went and did likewise. And I would submit to you, in that process, the healing was able to begin. How many of us are living our lives in such a way that we have these scabs that we continue to peel open? Or things that are festering and we just, we try to ignore them, explain them away. Pretend they don't exist. Skirt around the issues. We don't want to cause a stir or a fuss. And in so doing, we create for ourselves these little prisons. Can't interact with that person because I'm still upset. Oh, there's no eye contact there. Why? Why? We're only hurting ourselves. And if we can't forgive, what does that say about our ability or our measure of receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Maybe we haven't been broken. Maybe we haven't truly been heart converted. Maybe we have some of our own stuff we need to work through first. But the good news is that each of us has been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. Have you accepted God's forgiveness? If you have, I challenge you. Go, do likewise. Freely we have received mercy from God. Therefore, by God's grace, let's extend His mercy to all. Dear Heavenly Father, this parable is about us. You are the King, and you have seen how much we owe, and it's mind-boggling. But you have forgiven us by your incredible grace. And from there onward, we can rewrite this story. We don't want our story to end in the same way that this parable did. But we want to let go of our clenched fists. And we want to deal with the stuff of life that has been hurting us and chewing on us all this time. We want to go through that process of forgiveness that brings healing, that brings hope, that brings joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,